I'm Howie Mandel. This is Howie Mandel does stuff. What? What? Oh, we can't zoom. Well, we don't have the internet, but that's okay. This is Howie Mandel. <laughs> Howie Mandel does stuff. He's going to try to do stuff without the internet right now. We, our guest is uh, zooming in. I'm wearing a mask because I'm still testing positive for COVID. This is my co-host. I'm Jacqueline Schultz, his daughter and co-host. Okay, so, um, and then our guest today is Maya Bialik, who is uh, a brilliant uh, actress, writer, director, um, celebrity, host of Jeopardy, and... Uh, scientist. Scientist, a neuroscientist. And, uh, but uh, our internet just went out, so she was going to zoom in because... Her um, assistant also just tested positive, so it's uh, it's we are. Uh, are you allowed to share that? Oh, I'm going to ask her after she gets here. I'm going to find out. I'm not allowed to <laughs> say that. Some people don't want their personal. Me- Isn't that like a big thing that they don't want their? Let me ask her if I made a mistake. Stuff aired out. Well, I didn't say uh, I, I didn't say what she tested positive for. Just uh, she tested as we tested her to see if she had a if she's a very positive person. Yeah, and it's she is. She's, She's very positive. positive. A lot positive. of people are negative, and you want to be around positive people. And uh, there she is. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Sorry. Hi. I was just talking, Maya. Uh, first of all, uh, this I don't know if you know. This is my daughter. Hi, J- Jacqueline. Hi. Nice to meet you. I'm so excited. Nice to meet you. I'm so excited to talk to you. And I was telling, and and my I just got yelled at by my daughter because I said that you you weren't here because you were nice enough to tell us that your assistant tested positive, so you were you've been exposed. But then my daughter alerted me to the the fact that I shouldn't say your assistant tested positive because, because I said some people don't want it out there. It's private information. Well, it actually, it actually, it wasn't, it wasn't my assistant. So we should clear her of, of responsibility. Okay. So not your assistant. So but it doesn't matter. I, we, we won't I, say who it is. No, but I also have a podcast and it was someone who works on our podcast. And, um, at the, Yes, when I found out that he possibly had it, I felt like I could not in good faith come to you before he was tested. Is so. it weird that I'm wearing a mask even though we're on Zoom? <laughs> I was I was not going to ask. I was going to ask. I'm asking now. Okay, but the truth is that I tested positive um, right. a while back. And I'm still testing. 14 days, right? Wasn't it? Now it's like more. It's like 16 days ago. I didn't have any uh, symptoms, but I was quarantined and I have been cleared to go out. But I'm sitting this close to my daughter. So the fact that I have it, I'm just neurotic about everybody, as you know. I appreciate it. This is the safest interaction we can have right now. Then. I love that. But I, I love you. And, and I want to I'm going to uh, kind of and I know we don't have much time because it's got uh, screwed up and I, I'll be really quick. But when I think of my embiolic, I think the one word that comes to mind is accomplished. And, uh, you know, we all want to accomplish something in life or do something in life. And uh, my, you, uh, I don't know any other human being or never interacted with any other human being that has such a, a versatile kind of uh, whatever you've set out to. You're accomplished as an actress. You're accomplished as a writer. You're now accomplished. I didn't realize that you were a director. The movie, uh, we'll, we'll talk about that a, a little bit. You're accomplished as a neuroscience. Um, are you a doctor? I mean, are you considered a doctor? I, 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 you can call me doctor, but if there's like an accident on a plane, I, I'm like, I'm, not, I'm of no use. I have a PhD. But you're more important to me, right? Because part of the neuroscience, part of your study was OCD. 
That's right. I happened to study OCD. And I, I will say, I mean, there were many words I could have thought of that you'd say. I thought you were going to say, when I think my Bialik, I just think Jew. Like she's well, so you didn't get that. That was, that was going to come to me. Coming. You are. That was coming. <laughs> yeah. But I wasn't going to lead with you because we're not loved. I'm a Jew, too, but we're not we're not loved. So I always thought that that, that, that should be the and she's a Jew. But you've also done uh, also you're accomplished by doing things for the plight of Judaism. And I know that you you have a certain you have groups that you talk to uh, and, and, and you're also accomplished as a parent. And you also have what was that Gronk? Pardon me? I mean, you're you're saying many nice things. I'd like to say, first of all, there's also a, there's a set of headphones hanging over the screen, so you can hear us. There, you also have a microphone. There's a even microphone though too. Your sound is not actually coming through the TV; it's coming through our headset. We, but we wanted to make it seem. As a family, we're not that imaginative, so we <laughs> like to look. The guest has headsets. The guest has microphone. What's the difference? It doesn't matter. The guest is on. Okay. Um, no, you're you're saying many, many nice things. But, you know, I, I should also say that, um, you know, I, I don't consider myself a, a superhero really in, in any realm. You know, the, the thing that people most want to pay me to do is something I was not trained for and didn't really plan to do as my living. And that's be an actor. Um, but that was the, the first thing, that, thing you did. Wh what did you say? Isn't that the first thing you did, though? Well, I mean, I, I had 11 years on this planet doing other things, but it's not like most people know at 11 what they want to do into their 40s. You know, I I really liked acting, but I had many interests. And, you know, honestly, being a parent is is extremely important to me. It's the one job you are not trained for also and you have a lot more responsibility but no one seems to care that they just like throw these kids at you and it's like good luck figure it out so uh, that, so let's so let's go through your path did you want to act or did you have a stage mom or a stage dad that said no you? i i want i wanted to act you know the way a lot of kids in like i was that kid in elementary school who really liked doing plays, you know, and I really liked like our drama teacher, shoot Ms. Drake. She was awesome. She was very stern. And I was like, I like stern people to like me. I'm going to make her happy. And so um, I loved being in plays. I loved being directed by her. I, I felt comfortable on a stage. But again, at 11, I wasn't like, at 46, I hope I'm on my third sitcom talking to Howie Mandel and his daughter. Like, you don't know what your life's going to look like. But maybe that's why you are so accomplished, because rather than um, kind of uh, carving a path for yourself, you just at the moment, whatever you seem to be passionate about, because you you were already a like what what made you decide to go back to school? You obviously you were making a living. Why did you want to go into neuroscience and go back to school? Um, you know, I was I was raised in a humanities house and I fell in love with science in in um, I guess in high school. But I wasn't like a naturally good science student because I thought science and math were for boys. All the boys said so. And I always felt really shy in those classes. It didn't come naturally to me. But once I had I had a female tutor, it was when I was on the set of Blossom and she um, gave me the skill set and the confidence to believe I could study science. And what's her name? She's known really Mrs. Drake, taken, right? What was her name? What'd you say? What was her name? Uh, we, you gave a her shout out to was, Mrs. Drake. Yeah, her name was Firuze, Firuze Rabar. She was from um, a, a prominent Iranian Jewish immigrant family. And mm. um, 
she just was this unbelievable, passionate, you know, she was an undergrad at that time at UCLA, just like tutoring celebrity kid. Um, but I, um, I, I also wasn't that taken with like fame and, you know, being recognized and like the money, like that wasn't interesting to me as a lifestyle. I wanted to go to college. My grandparents were immigrants to this country. Like you had to go to college. You just go to college, no matter what you did before college, go to college. And I wanted that experience. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to like do all the nerdy things I did. I joined like a Zen Buddhist club. I was, you know, I conducted music for the Jewish acapella group. Like I, I wrote articles for the paper. I, I went to all sorts of classes. I got a minor in Hebrew and Jewish studies. I learned Hebrew. I learned Yiddish. Like I wanted an academic experience um you think it's because so, having uh, so much success at such a young age and and success is uh you know is different to every person but i mean having the notoriety at such a young age you kind of it didn't mean anything to you and making that kind of money didn't mean anything to you because you're I you're mean, you're 11. right and you know i mean also people didn't make the money um then especially like 14 year old you know, girls who starred in TV shows. There were no other girls starring in TV shows at that time. It was not a huge lucrative, you know, kind of thing. And of course there was ridiculous money to be made, but also like I, I was raised with, I wasn't raised with money. Like I was raised in like a crummy rental. We had one bathroom till I was 15 and my brother was 19, like four people, one bathroom. Like the floors were always, the, the, the floors were always like splintering, like nothing worked, like the toilet never worked. Like I didn't grow up with money. So what did I didn't your parents know do? what it meant. My, my parent, my dad was a public school teacher, um, which, you know, you, you'd think is, is an important profession that we'd like our country to <laughs> compensate people for. But yeah, my dad was a public school teacher. My mom worked part-time at the nursery school at the synagogue that I belong to, but she was, you know, home with us when we were not in school. So I didn't grow up with money. And yeah, it's not that, that the fame didn't mean anything to me. Like I didn't feel like it gave value as a human to me. I was happy to make people happy. I, I love being a comedian. I love bringing joy to people. But, you know, I'm kind of like an introvert who was living as an extrovert. Um, I didn't crave that kind of attention. It made me very uncomfortable, not because I don't appreciate that it makes people happy, but it's just not my personality. Like, I just I want to, like, crawl all under a table when people recognize me. You know, just, it's kind I'm of funny. Not, it's kind yeah. of funny you should say that. And I relate to the fact that I found, you know, this isn't anything that I pursued. And I love what I do. And I but I don't really understand the notoriety. And I'm sitting here with my, my daughter who uh, spent 10 years as an inner city public school teacher, you know, and mm. the fact that people want to talk to me because I, uh, you know, pretend to be a little silly in front of a camera rather than to talk to somebody who shows up each and every day right. and changes people's lives and inspires them to hopefully change the world doesn't make any sense. But that being said, you had an incredible amount of success. Are you telling me with Blossom you didn't make a lot of money? Um, again, it was very different then. I think at that time, the highest paid actor on television was Ted Danson made $100,000 a week and people acted like he should be drawn and quartered. It was such an obscene amount of money. Right. And that was Ted Danson, you know, right. who was at the height of cheers. And, you know, so the scale of money was very different. Um, you know, but even if you were making, saved. even if you were making 50,000 a week, that's still a huge that, amount of money. That's true. But you, you don't make that for all the years of a show when you're an unknown 13 year old signing a contract. So, but you became a millionaire. 
Um, I I don't actually I don't. I'm trying to think now. I'm doing math. Science I is your thing. <laughs> no, I, um, I don't. I, I what I will say is that what what changed in my life is that you know we owned a house and my parents had never owned a house, and that was a very strange thing. Um, you know, to be 14, 15, 16 years old and, you know, you kind of being the first, you know, person kind of making that happen. That was very strange. Strange um, positively or strange. Like, what does it feel like to be a 14 year old and you feel that you are responsible for the level of comfort that your entire family has? I mean, honestly, I think many kids from families like mine feel that emotionally. Right. <laughs> like, I can't imagine what that. So, yeah. <laughs> So I, I think, you know, I didn't think about it a lot financially because, you know, my, my parents, they, they were competent people like to, to manage that. It wasn't like I was literally like, you know, actively speaking to my mortgage broker. Um, but no, it's, it's very strange. And it, um, you know, it, it's a strange way to grow up when you're given responsibility and when in many arenas you're treated like an adult, but, you know, because my parents were who they were, like I really was, I was treated like a kid because because I was a kid, like I still had chores. No one told me things were good when they were bad. Whereas like, as you know, in our industry, like people will tell you things are good when they're not because they're just supposed to make you happy. And that's why when people say, should I put my kid into acting? It's like, that's what you have to teach a child in the industry. Like you don't show when you're tired. You don't show when you're unhappy. You are taking orders from adults and living in an adult world. And it's not very comfortable, especially for little ones. Right. But did you feel in your personal life, you were smart enough and cognizant enough, like at times when you had to deal with your parents had to deal with you, you know, you can go, you know what, mom, be quiet or I'm going to sell the house. <laughs> oh, no, that doesn't happen. No, no, not in my house. No, I didn't even know when I was hot, cold, hungry or happy. She had to tell me. Really? Really? Yeah, I, I grew up very, very, like very, very shtetl. Like, like, I mean, I say to my kids, you know, when they complain, like, oh, you won't let us get Thai food because we, you know, I said, please, like when I was a kid, it was very, very different. It was like, I'll tell you when you're hungry. I'll tell you when you're happy. I'll tell you when you're cold. Put on a jacket. Do you have a good relationship with your, is your mother, is your mother alive? Yeah, my mother's alive. You know, we have a complicated relationship. I, I often feel like the adult, which she doesn't appreciate. And I think, you know, she got into therapy after my father died and, that's actually been really fascinating. I never would have predicted my mother would be into mindfulness meditation and learning about aspects of her personality that she is honing in her seventies. I mean, it's it's really remarkable. That's a wonderful. Um, that what a testament yeah, to really, somebody who's who's making a change yeah. or going in a different direction and is comfortable. Totally. And and she'll say like, I know I'm not perfect. Like I can see you're annoyed with me, and I don't know why. It's like, yes, mom, <laughs> I am annoyed with you. That's that's actually wonderful. And you explore this. The movie you wrote is the complication and your family experience, right? I mean, the movie, yes, it's not autobiographical in the sense that there are things that never, ever happened. And there's a lot of shifts to characters that I had to lean into to tell a story appropriately. Um, but yeah, I, my, my father died. My father of blessed memory died seven years ago. And um, there's a, a very specific year of mourning, uh, which I think we talked about. Um, right. And after that, I started writing and I didn't think, oh, I'm going to make a movie. I thought I just need to write. I'm a writer and that's where these feelings are going to go. And I really 
sat on it for a while and eventually showed it to a couple people close to me. And they, here we have this sweet little independent film with Dustin Hoffman and Candace Bergen and Simon Helberg from Big Bang Theory and Diana Agron. And that is our um, our main cast for this movie. It's out on on demand. Um, yeah. It's showing in some theaters, but it's mainly like an on-demand situation. But to get, to get a movie about your, you know, you were basically just journaling for your mental health. It was time. elaborate journaling, but yes. <laughs> But that's basically what it is. And then and then now you're on the set directing Dustin Hoffman. I mean, it was crazy. And that brings me back to the word accomplishment. That's, <laughs> you know, it's like the Ph.D. of show business. Isn't it? Isn't it? Maybe maybe an associate arts degree, maybe a master's. See, I find it so interesting that you ended up going back into show business, not that you left and went into school and decided to do something else. And then after that, you went back into show business because what I find most interesting and what I connect with is you talk a lot about you feeling really uncomfortable like in this setting, in show business, right? Because you're really out there and you're with people and you had to socialize. And so, and I feel that all the time when I, when I have to socialize or be out there and it's so hard for me. So to make that choice to go back into show business seems like it would be a hard decision or a struggle. Why did you decide to do that? Um, it, it, it was a very, you know, it, it's a difficult decision when I think about how much the industry has changed. You know, um, there wasn't like social media, you know, my last go around, um, 14 year olds could look 14. No one was asking us to get hair extensions or manicures. Like it was just su such a different time, especially for young girls. Um, the God's honest truth is that I had finished grad school. I had my first son in grad school and um, my second right after I took my doctoral um, degree, eight months, seven months pregnant. Um, I ha was running out of health insurance. This is the, the true story. I was teaching neuroscience for about five years after getting my degree. I taught um, to homeschoolers, junior high and high school neuroscience, uh, biology I taught, taught a little chemistry. It's not my strength. And uh, I was tutoring piano. I was tutoring Hebrew. I was doing everything to make ends meet. Um, we were running out of insurance. And I said, you know, I've never really done this as an adult. If I can just get literally a couple guest spots enough to get health insurance. I mean, I had a, a toddler and a, and a newborn, you know, I mean, it's kind of, it's a weird story, but like, this is America, you know, I was running out of health insurance. That's the, the story. The father, I did not, the father, didn't, I did not think I, <laughs> the father of these, the father didn't uh, contribute or doesn't have health insurance. Um, we were both grad students. We met in college. We were both grad students and we were both on the same stipend system and they do not continue your insurance after he got his master's and I got my doctorate. So um, what, what I did is I started auditioning just for like, you know, I did an episode of Bones. I don't think my character even had a name. Like I did an episode of Saving Grace and I had never seen the Big Bang Theory. I didn't know what it was. Um, I never thought I'd be a regular on a TV show again. Like it, that's not what my life plan was. Like I had long hippie chick hair. I didn't even know what size clothes I wore. Cause it's just like, whatever. Um, I mean, I was like, I hadn't tweezed my eyebrows ever. <laughs> I was like Sound a normal you. person. You in Santa Cruz. <laughs> I know. It's that's what, and we went to we both went to UCLA too. I yeah. went to UCLA as well. Oh, yeah, the yeah. Bruins. Yes, the Bruins. But but it is interesting to hear that somebody pursued, even if it was the second time, this career. Most people who pursue it will pursue it in uh, wrongly probably, but for the success for fame and recognition and money and stardom. But you just wanted a good health plan. 
That's I, just why... want, I just wanted some health coverage. <laughs> right. That's why people end up working in factories. And to you, this is a show business factory. <laughs> But that's a big commitment to make of your life. I mean, there is, I would imagine this is the one, I imagine I'm in it. This is the one industry that kind of informs every other part of your life. In fact, even just going to Ralph's or picking up uh, groceries, nothing changes you more. That's a huge commitment. Well, and and also keep in mind, you know, when I, when I, let's say married, I mean, we've been divorced 10 years, but when I married, um, you know, my now ex-husband, like, we were both grad students. I wasn't looking to act like we had a totally different life plan for ourselves. And, you know, he had never known me famous. Like we met in college when I was like, oh, I heard that girl used to be on television. But yeah, it completely changed our life. I mean, I wasn't planning on raising kids as a famous person like that. I, I thought I'd be raising kids as a person who was a famous actor when they were younger. Um, but no, I mean, everything about my life, I mean, the two of you know, my my kids, like it took them years to even understand what was actually happening. Like, why do people come up to my mama, you know? <laughs> and and are they good with it? Are they, do they like it? Do they enjoy it? Is it annoying? No, I... My my younger one um, seems to have a lot more feelings about it. When he was little, he talked very, very late. And so he used to get really upset when people would come over, uh, like come over to me or ask for autographs. Um, you know, it's a real boundary to have like someone up in your mom's face like that. Uh, my older son, you know, he's 16 and a half. And so, you know, the world of social media has opened up aspects of celebrity to him. He's the one who asked why I'm not a guest host on Jeopardy. He saw something on the internet saying, my Bialik should be on Jeopardy. Um, so, you know, I think he he understands it a little differently, but my younger one, it's definitely, I'm, I'm really just mom to him, which I think is very, you know, appropriate. Um, but when they were little, you know, and I'd have to put on hair and makeup, they disliked it greatly. I remember my older one, he used to say, no clown. He thought I looked like a clown. <laughs> That's hysterical. No clown. No clown. And and as are you are amicable with your ex? Oh yeah, very. Um, I mean, we, you know, kind of made a a conscious effort. You know, we we consciously uncoupled before it was a thing. Oh, I guess. write that down. That'll really no. take off. <laughs> no, we um, we um, yeah, we do holidays together for ten years. Our kids have experienced um, Jewish holidays together with both right. of their parents and. Um, when we've had other people in our lives, they've also been there, and it's we know it's weird. Um, I still call my mother-in-law my mother-in-law. Wow. Um, I just, you know, that's our family. That's my kids' grandparents, and um, you know, we're we're we worked very hard to do that. It's not easy, you know. Right. In the first years, especially, were very painful. Um, but we really do. We we value our our children are not confused. It's very clear we are not a couple anymore. We don't sleep in the same room. We don't like. It's very very clear. Um, but we are the story of how they came to be. You wow. know, I we, we are, and we are all creating together the family that they will have, whether we live in the same home or not. But uh, uh, Sukkot is a very confined the- space. I would think that would be uncomfortable. With the we lul- have not done a Sukkot sleepover. And then you get angry and you, have one- a, and you have a lulav one- and you're smacking him with a lulav. You know, anyway, no, three people are going to know. Where we had a bar mitzvah trip for my older son to Israel and we got this very beautiful hotel that's on a crater in Israel. It's like this enormous erosion crater and the hotel overlooks it. 
and we get there and there's one bed and like it's a small hotel there's it was so awkward and so i like literally slept on like the fold out like in the corner with like one kid and then he was in the other room with the other kid it was funny well the whole family was supposed to be on one bed for him to <laughs> no it was like a weird divorced family where, and we said to the hotel like we're not married and they're like yeah i don't know like very israeli <laughs> like figure it out <laughs> This might, yeah, this might be a little bit too personal and you don't have to answer it, but you had mentioned that you both did not plan on going back into show business. Like this was not your plan when you guys got together and had kids for your family. Do you think that played a part and made it harder for you guys when you decided to go back in and had the success that you have? Um, it's a good question. I mean, I, I, I rarely don't answer questions. So I, I think, you know, I don't know if if I can say that it's like the industry and that in particular, you know, um, we dated for five years before we got married. So it's not like he didn't understand the, the person that I was, you know, and I think that no matter what I do, that's sort of just like, I'm going to bring me to anything. Like, I'm always going to be that person who's like different and has to do it different and has to stand out. So I think he was... I don't think that was like weird, like, oh, she's getting all this attention. Like, I'm a very strange person. I make a fuss wherever I go. So he already knew what he was getting <laughs> into. Um, but I, I will say that, you know, one of the fascinating things about, you know, we, we did marry young. I mean, to me, I was an old maid because in my family, like you get married at like 18. You know, that's the way a lot of people in my family do it. And my mom was 18 when she got married. So I felt like an old maid, you know, to get married at 27. Um but there's a lot of changes that that humans go through for sure, especially in our in our culture now. And um, you hope that you grow with your person. Um, and I guess that's not it's not always the case. But I I, I think, um, like I said, for us, you know, landing where we've landed is very sweet. And also it does feel weird that our whole life is really governed by my schedule and like my industry. And that's something it's true when we were dating. And before I got back on television, we were much more kind of equal planners. And then all of a sudden the industry becomes your job. And it's like, okay, now our life rotates around when you're on hiatus, but it's, and it's but your job, like but your even your job, you know, you started out as an actress, you left the industry as an actress, you went into science and then you said, I, I want to get some guest spots. You ended up on big bang theory and you're just a, an actress. And I, I, I don't mean to be derogatory by just a, but just yeah. as opposed to what you're doing now, what you've taken on is you have a company, you, the, the show you're on now is produced by your company, developed by your right. company. So you are the boss, you work for you. Um, so you're much more than just an actress. You're a creator, you're a writer, you're a director. And now you've just uh, like, talk about going back into it. You are your I'm in. industry. I'm up to my eyeballs now. Right. Do you like all the aspects of what you do? You love the producing and creating. Do you love the behind the scenes as much as you love? I, I, lo I mean, honestly, like writing is my favorite because you do it by yourself, locked in a hotel room. <laughs> no one can tell you it's wrong. <laughs> um, Directing was very gratifying. You know, I've been told I'm bossy since I'm three years old. And finally, I was in a situation where being bossy is actually important and it got right. a movie made. Um, so I felt like that was a really good use of a lot of negative qualities that I was able to. I don't think people who are listening right now even understand what that 
means, you know, just to get something made, just to get it so a lot. It's hard enough to get it sold for somebody to finance something. And then even if it's sold, most things don't even come to fruition. They never get made. So to get a movie made is monumental in this business. Well, it's it's very yes, and especially you know with a three million dollar budget, it's very very difficult. Um, it sounded like a lot of money to me until I saw how much you pay the Teamsters and how much you pay this, and like there, your money's gone. And now I'm like fanning Dustin Hoffman like this because we don't have air conditioner. Um, no, but but also being a director means managing a, a crew and a set and um, building relationships with you know all of the people who are actually helping make this movie. So. That's very interesting to me. I do love performing. Um, a lot of the producing stuff, it is, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot on my voice. It's a lot, you know, it's a lot of talking. It's a lot of typing. It's a lot of explaining. Um, but, you know, Call Me Cat, the sitcom that I'm on, it's, it's fun and it's good and it's light. And we have a really, really fun cast. We enjoy working together. Um, there's a lot of logistical things that um, I shouldn't be involved in. That's hard for me to stick, you know, to, to not stick my, you know, my nose in. Um, that's just because I'm a, like a controlling managing person. Like I said, I'm bossy. So um, it's a lot of also learning to, to balance and delegate as it were. Um, but yeah, life is very different than even I imagined it when I got back into acting and um, the ability to write. I mean, the fact is the ability to do a podcast about mental health um, that I'm really doing um, to, to hopefully educate people about different aspects of mental health and mental wellness. Um, that's a really important part of my life. Um, I have more stories to tell. I want to write more, but also like I'm a mom to a 13 and 16 year old kid who, um, you know, they need me and I'm, uh, you know, eager for a life also where I have more room with them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm a very imperfect parent and I tell them all the is time. There a such a thing, is there a, is there a, is there such thing as a perfect parent? I don't think so. Um, no, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, hear like, oh, she does it all and blah, blah. Like I, you know, literally, you know, yell sometimes. And I, um, so it's you're hard. In, you do production. Obviously you did reproduction. Uh, hosting. <laughs> do you like hosting? You're very good. I got to say uh, in, in watching you, you're great on Jeopardy and you had some big shoes to fill. It's, uh, you know, an iconic game. Do you like that? That's a totally different muscle um, than acting. That's not acting. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, honestly, Jeopardy feels like a real combination of kind of acting and, you know, science communication in terms of having terms and words that often don't make sense to me that I need to, you know, have make sense to, to others and myself. Um, I, I do really enjoy that work. Um, it's, it's, it is very different. You know, it's someone in your ear and you're constantly like calculating and talking and like, you can't say welcome back after every commercial break, you have to spread it out. So you don't sound like a broken record. Like my mind is always going, but you know, those days they, they do, they, they fly by for me. Like I get there, I meet with the incredible writers and researchers who are so much fun. And, you know, five outfits later, it's like, you know, dinner time. Um, and I love it. I love meeting new people. I love seeing the incredible things that these people can hold in their brains. Um, it's, it's really, it's a very, very fun gig. It really is. Did you feel the pressure? You know, that totally, just... totally. I mean, no one, as you said, no one can fill Alex's shoes. Um, but there's a lot of attention, you know, around it. I think we all learned during COVID how much people care about Jeopardy. They really do. Um, so there's a, a lot of voices and a lot of opinions and it's hard not to get caught up in that. You know, um, what I do is I, I you know, I, I try and 
not draw unnecessary attention to myself when I'm there, meaning it's about our contestants, you know? Um, so I, I, again, I'm trying not to be too loud. And also as a, as a female, um, it, it's different, you know, when women present information, it does sound different than when men do. And there's all these things of like, be feminine, not too feminine. Like just smile, you're a feminist though, much, right? You know? You're, you're like, a feminist, aren't you? You're really, uh, are you? Yeah. Yes. I mean, depending I'm not, on, I'm I mean, not saying that, uh, 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 not in the negative. I, I think that's a, yes, I, I believe, yeah, I believe in the unique power of women to, uh, to break the bonds of race, class and gender, which is kind of an academic definition of feminism. Um, a lot of people think of like, you know, men, women and men are the same. That's actually not, you know, my sort of definition. Um, but yes. Because, because yes. I've read some of you do op-eds, you write about it, feminism, Judaism, you, you, you have certain stands of veganism, you know, animals, you're like, there isn't anything that you haven't accomplished. I mean, it's that I have never had a guest on a podcast. We haven't done a lot of podcasts where there's so many different subjects. I feel like I'm just glazing over absolutely everything. You and I need our own podcast. We can just pick a different topic. And with no guests, because just you alone, uh, you know, you have something interesting to say and something viable to talk about on so many different things. Do you, uh, you. are you involved? No, thank you. Are you involved in science at all in neuroscience? Do you do anything in that? Um, no, I mean, once you, once you kind of don't do a postdoc and you're not part of sort of like the, you know, several times a year neuroscience conferences that you're supposed to go to, the, the PhD quickly, you know, kind of loses value for you as like an active member of the neuroscience community. And I always try and be really clear about that. I'm not a practicing neuroscientist, you know, I'm, I'm trained and I have a doctorate. Um, I'm, I'm a specialist in what my thesis was. Which and, was OCD, you know, wasn't taught. it? Was it OCD? Yeah, I studied I studied um, the role of oxytocin and vasopressin in um, in obsessive compulsive disorder, and I worked with a population um, of individuals with Prader Willi syndrome who have very high rates of OCD. Right. So that's kind of like that's what I'm an, an expert in, but I'm not a practicing neuroscientist. I am a person who has you know a, a lot of training in the sciences. So like I'm the person that friends come to if they're told that they have high blood pressure or if they need this medication or you know when my father was sick I was a very helpful liaison. I, I talked to a lot of friends and friends' moms and dads about medical conditions. Like I'm that person. In well, I'm, I'm coming to you today with OCD. Help me. I actually do have a question because this has been brought up a few times in conversations between us and guests that we've had on before about like how treatment is kind of changing and altering. And now there's a lot of people turning to, um, whether it be microdosing or hallucinogenics or whatever. And we were talking about it before about like opening up your, your mind or acceptance to other forms of treatment. And I just wanted to know your take on that. I don't know if you have a take because you, um, you talk to so many people that have different experiences on your own podcast that you've talked to anyone that has that experience. Um, yeah, I, I can't speak to it from, from personal experience and, you know, I'm, I'm not a, a doctor, I'm not a therapist. Um, you know, I, I don't have that kind of clinical training to speak to that. I can say as someone who's, you know, part of the OCD community as, as a card carrying member, um, and as someone who, um, you know, has, uh, various other diagnoses for which I've, you know, really been dealing with, uh, you know, prominently since my teen years, um, I, I'm grateful that there's an opening up of our understanding of, of treatment options. 
um, you know, for a lot of kind of psychiatric history, um, they, they didn't know what to do with us. Mm -hmm. And that often meant, you know, medications that made us just be quieter. And, um, you know, many people were, you know, felt very sedated and a lot of, a lot of medications um, were very sedating. So, you know, I, I do want to say that in the first case, because even like classic SSRIs, like the, the Prozacs and the Zolofts, like th those still work for some people, but there are a lot of other medications um, that, that metabolically work differently and can work for people for whom they thought medication will never work for me. Um, you know, our understanding of cognitive behavioral therapy and that becoming more part of the mainstream, especially for OCD, has been very helpful. Um, but also, and this is something, you know, that that part of why I do the podcast that I do is, you know, things like breath, things like meditation, things like diet, things like sleep. Um, those things have a larger role in the modulation of psychological and psychiatric disorders and conditions than we, we previously were acknowledging. And the same is true of, I guess they call it, you know, like, plant medicine or plant-based medicine, um, you know, I, I think that the notion of like, let's take some shrooms and go hike a mountain is probably not what people are talking about when they talk about therapeutic uses um, of psilocybins and things like that. Um, some and people. there is a lot of promising and legitimate research uh, about MDMA and about ketamine. Um, you know, I, I just like to caution people that those things are, are typically best done with some rigorous supervision. Um, and while I hear a lot of people have amazing ayahuasca experiences, um, that's not something I, I think that, that you know, the, the medical field is ready to sort of be prescribing for a lot of reasons. Well, that's why you have to go to a shaman or a shaman. 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 You have to shaman. go to South America, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that scares me. I think that's what you were alluding to. We've had some people on here because people do talk to me about mental health. That's not what, the, I, I did her podcast. I was, uh, thank you for having me on. It was really- We had a fantastic time with you. We, I know, Well, because we have been talking, we talked before about brain chemistry and I was like, well, you're the person to ask them about brain chemistry because- Well, and, and also, like you know speaking kind of less officially I, I know a lot of people who like the extreme focus that you get from certain medications that are prescribed for other things um and you know i also know a lot of people who self-medicate with pot and alcohol and that can become a problem I, it happens um i'm not saying you have a problem i am you know, he does. i do he I recognized had. a problem I did. Well, when people say like pot's not addictive, I'm like, no, but feeling good is. And if pot makes you feel good, you're going to keep returning to that rather than handling possibly other aspects of what's going on. You know, I did you that know, during that. I'm really an advocate for what? I did that. I did that. I'm, I'm, I'm sober right now, but I did. I was smoking pot. It first started with gummies. Then it was gummies and smoking. Then it was gummy smoking and drinking. And then I was just yeah. unconscious. So I just want to be conscious. So I'm not doing it. But you're yeah. absolutely right. Well, and, and you know, what they say with any of those things is if you want to find out why you're doing it, stop. And, you know, the same is true for me. I've talked about uh, disordered eating and um, some of my struggles, you know, um, binge eating can, can numb a lot of feelings and it feels really good. And when you stop doing that, you have to feel all your feelings. And um, then you realize, oh, that's why I was doing it in the first place. So it's always the, the feelings always come first. And then depending on your chemistry and what's available to you, we will all seek things to make it not hurt so much, whatever so that is. Into, yeah. We, and uh, is that why you collect magnets? <laughs> I'm noticing your fridge. That's just, 
Do they make it feel good? You have a lot of magnets. I I also notice a reflection of a cat. I'm noticing a lot of stuff. Yeah, she's she's starting she's starting to get very curious about what we're doing here. But Cats get still curious. for the moment. You you really are an incredible. You're incredible. I don't. There's there isn't another word that. But you really are. And you know, as somebody who has, um, I'm a lot older than you, but I have two daughters, and uh, I have uh, you know a son. I'm just excited that you're here and you're talking to my daughter. I, you know, I, I would imagine as a parent, you know, and, and I'm not, I am a lot older than you. I could, I could be your parent. I've been with my wife for 42 years. So, so I, I just, so I'm so proud of you. I don't, I'm not connected <laughs> to you, but it's, I'm felling, which is. I mean, a, we're related somewhere, Howie, let's be honest. <laughs> all Jews are, but I, I do. I feel like felling, you're a very strong, uh, good Female. Oh, look, that's not a reflection. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid of cats. They love are. cats. She had cats. I have a fear of cats um, because I think they know something I don't know. But then again, <laughs> I'm talking to you and you know a lot more than I know. <laughs> um, so uh, cat is going well, right? Yes. Call me cat. We just finished. Call me cat is going spin. well. So uh, um, are you, yeah. you, and and Jeopardy is gangbusters. I mean, that's, again, like, that's kind of my life. And I really, I do appreciate all the nice things um, that you've said. You know, I, I'm not that much younger than you. And yeah, you um, it's actually really a pleasure to get to see your daughter. And um, uh, I, it's just, it's really, really she's fun. Clo and I'm, she's I'm closer to your age than I am. You, you said your age. You said you're 46 or 40. I'm 46. Yeah. Right. So I've been married for 42 years. <laughs> and I went out with my wife for five years before that. So you could be my daughter, kid. I'll do, I'll do the math. <laughs> okay, uh, they did. Well, that's not your thing. I, you keep telling us it's science. Yeah, <laughs> math is for boys, and that's why I'm doing. No, it. math I, is part of science. No, I had to go all the way through advanced calculus. I couldn't. I, I don't. I don't remember any boys where I grew up saying, uh, "Don't don't add or subtract." That's a boy thing. That's not a girl thing. But it was always the girls that were smarter in math and science, at least. That's math. not that's not the stereotypical thing that people say. They say that my math other daughter and is a big science. She's a doctor too. Yeah, yeah my other daughter. You have a master's too. I, I I'm smart too. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> no favoritism. Anyway, you yeah, are no, you I'm are just such a joy. And uh, Maya, if you ever need anything or you want to work together, I would do anything with you. I I really do. Uh, Thank you. Uh, hold you in high esteem on so many uh, reading your op eds and reading what you do for Israel and the, the things that are important to you and the things you write about and your passion. And, you know, I can't tell you how many things I see and I don't really know you, but, but I see, and after I see things that you've written or things that you've done, I can't imagine uh, another person that I've said, wow, more about, you know? That's so, really, that's very kind. It means a lot coming from you. I, I respect you very much. And um, there's no I, reason I to respect me. We don't have to wear masks. Okay, well, yeah, I don't. Then you really don't know me because <laughs> I, know. I don't think this is ever coming off no. again. <laughs> I think you're thankful that now everyone you have an excuse to wear a mask yes, wherever you I'm, go. I'm yeah. not the odd guy. I don't shake hands. I haven't shook shook anybody's hand for like ten years. Now masks have become in vogue. This is the the most. You were ahead of the curve. Yeah, bad curve. Yeah. Anyway, I, I I know that we got to you late. Thank you so much, and thank you for being uh uh. uh you're the kind of person who kind of said that you were around somebody who tested positive. You didn't test positive. You don't know how much I appreciate that you didn't come in and, and you kind of opened <laughs> that up, but that means a lot. That's you're sensitive to no, other no, people. And, and, uh, yeah. And I, I really, I, I do appreciate it. And, um, you know, I know we're all getting used to different 
different twists and turns. And this was just one that I just didn't feel right. So I appreciate you being patient and I'm glad you could see my messy fridge. <laughs> I don't know if it's messy. It's just a lot of, I don't know if there's a post-it note. She has they, kids. Mag- she probably hangs kids stuff up there. But there's That's a lot right. of right. Mag- there, there, there's a Mondrian llama that Fred did. There's a picture of me and Jim Parsons. There's like a picture of me and my cat. <laughs> I don't have a magnetic fridge, so my kids get none of their stuff hung up. Yeah, her. Yeah. She has a. It's made out of cardboard. Yeah. Her fridge. <laughs> it's just some ice cubes in a cardboard box, and she puts some meat slices in there. Yeah. No meat. No meat. No it's meat. Vegan. Yeah. No, no meat. meat. All right. Well, anyway, thank you. Keep doing right, what you're doing. Care, stay stay healthy. Yes, and you stay All safe right. too. Thank you so much. As Mayim Bialik, everybody, that is uh, an amazing guest. This is Howie Mandel does stuff. Are we uh, done? Yeah. Do you want to uh, uh, say stuff? Yeah. Okay. I want to say you can follow us. You can like. You can subscribe. You can comment. You can do a whole bunch of stuff. Oh, you could also buy merch, right? Did we send feet pics? Feet pics. What? Feet pics. Mom's foot pics. We said. Oh yeah, last... we sell my uh, people have foot fet- fetishes. We're selling pictures of my wife's feet. Yeah, <laughs> so you could buy merch and get a Polaroid picture of my mom's feet. Well, she's also on. Mom's also on OnlyFans now, just with her feet. Right. Okay. She's making so a fortune. Yeah. She really is. I Your know. mom is so multifaceted. She's talk does about accomplished. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Goodbye, everybody. That was nice.